So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. I have a special treat, very special treat, because I've got someone other than a man on my show, okay? <laughs> it's not a man's world, I'm telling you right now. It's uh, women rule this thing, because we all know you never get to pick where you live, okay? Only a woman does that for you, and she's going to tell you what you're going to eat and all the other things, but Julian Sedoti is a master. And let me, like, she's got her Wudan Ninja level 10. I'm a master at the whole syndication. She's a syndication lawyer. And I don't want to give up any of her stuff. Uh, I'm going to let her tell us about herself because she'll do a lot better job than I will. So, Jillian, welcome to the show. <laughs> so, just get into it. Just start right there. Tell yeah. everybody. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, the best thing I can tell everybody there about getting started is you just got to start um, just like anything else. And the big thing for me and what I've always tell people is, you know, yeah, legal fees can sometimes cost you some money, but it costs you more to call me later when you're getting in trouble than it does to cost that cost you now. And the other thing is legal compliance. I've seen a direct correlation between legal compliance and raising more capital. I, but let's hold on. Let's, I want to back up. I want your whole backstory. I okay. want you to tell me who you are. Like I just gave a snippet. I think I was cool, right? That was just a fun fun, but it's not really who you are. So we want to hear about like, who is Jillian? And I want to make sure I'm saying that right. Cause I'm saying, tell me how I'm saying it right. Is Jillian, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, good. <laughs> I thought so, but I'm like, if you're looking at me funny, so nope. I don't know. Okay. Nope. But so give me your backstory, because we met at a collective genius group, mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I know a lot of the, we kind of know a lot of the same people, sure. and we've really been, uh, we've been meaning to do this podcast for a while, so I'm excited to have you on. So just give me a say your backstory and who you are and how you came to do what you do now. So it's actually funny. So I was in the music industry for a while and we were, and my husband and I were on tour and, um, and when you're a, so, so the music world's like this, you're either really, really poor or you're really, really rich. There's very little in between. And we were, guess which was side we were on. So, um, that means so, you have some pipes, right? Can you see? <laughs> no, not quite. Um, so, um, so we were to our, and my, and, and I just realized there's gotta be a better way to do this. You cannot, there's, you do not, there's no way you finance a, 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 
a business on a credit card. That's just can't be the way people do it. But that's the way we were doing. We're financing it on a credit card. And um, I got just really tired and sick of being poor and decided to go back to law school. But while I was in law school, I knew I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I didn't like other lawyers. Um, I found them obnoxious. I found the people I went to school with for the most part um, obnoxious. Um, you know, and so I, I started getting into the real estate industry right then and there. And awesome. yeah, before I, before I even got out of law school, I literally, um, went around to every, uh, real estate investment firm in San Diego and tried to find someone who would let me come in. And I had a degree in finance, so I was sellable in that regard. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was like, listen, I'm getting out of law school and I have this finance degree and I can help you do your books and records. I'll, I'll file for you, whatever. I just want to learn real estate. And I found this one company that, um, you know, was actually impressed that I had a record label and hired me. And I, I started, I started being like the controller there and doing all of the books and, and, and doing all the budgets, and the construction budgets. And then it became to the point where we were running out of our own money and I figured out, oh, we have to go out and get investors. So that's exactly how I started doing it. I started raising money for condo conversions in San Diego and I'm, I'm going along doing my thing, trying to find investors. And I met Gene Trowbridge, who's my partner now. And he asked me, you know, what are you up to? And I told him, what are you up to? He goes, well, what kind of documents are you using? And I said, what documents? <laughs> so any of you out there that are feeling bad, like, oh my God, I never knew this law existed. I didn't know I had to do these things. I've been there. I've done it. I was, I was in law school. I was taking the bar exam and breaking every single law out there. So, <laughs> so I've been in your shoes, so I get it. I totally get it. And um, once, the, once the market took a turn back in the last downturn um, and we sold all of our properties, we fortunately got out like, you know, by the skin of our teeth, really. Awesome. Um, we got out and that's when I started practicing law and it was just a natural transition to go from from the development now that I had my law degree. Hold on, no, not from just development, from a roadie. <laughs> right? <laughs> on the road is what I meant to say. No, no. To go to school. I was the meanest groupie out there. <laughs> oh, dude, that is a that is an awesome story, man. Yeah. That yeah. is so cool. So, and now you resign in still San Diego? Is that? You? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little north of San Diego in a place called Temecula, California, and Southern California wine country, and you know, lots changed since then, but uh, still doing the syndication thing, and and uh, it's just great because you know what I always try to explain to people, unlike you know a criminal attorney or you know a family law attorney, I have I have clients who are doing some of the most amazing things, and they're usually smarter than me. I shouldn't say that too much, but they're usually smarter than me and richer than me. And I love learning from them as much as I love helping them. Well, here's where I've, this is what I've, I've seen is, especially in the multifamily world, just like me. I mean, I raised my first, I think I raised $1.4 million on my first deal. Um, totally wrong. I just like prom notes. I actually did unsecured prom notes because these people knew me. And I was like, Hey, I get this deal. Just send me the money. And uh, then I'll go buy it, and we'll go figure it out. And um, yeah, I was—I'm not proud of that moment, but like I didn't know any better, right? And then I was like, "Oh, you're supposed to have legal documents and all this stuff." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, and so I do it right now. But there's a lot of people out there that just—they don't even understand this. What the process is, right? Of like, 
what is a syndication? Like, what's the word? What does it even mean? So right. let's let's start. Can I like I want to do like a Q and A kind of maybe I mean you just bounce some stuff off of. Sure. I think a lot of investors are like because my audience is either going to be single family fix and flippers or wholesalers. I think that want to level up, or they're already multifamily guys that need like um, truly to understand the whole game of what you can and can't do. Sure. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So let's just start like, what is the syndication um, and why do you need one? So a syndication basically is, and, and by the way, syndication is not just limited to properties. You could syndicate any asset. You could syndicate, a, like, for example, I do a lot of film syndications as well. So if you had a movie, you wanted to raise money for the movie. But a syndication essentially is just taking an asset and saying, look, I have this asset and I need money for the asset. So I'm going to divide up the ownership, for lack of a better term, of that asset. And, and what that involves is really providing the proper disclosure to your investors because the assumption is, and the case usually is, is that one person or a group of people, the sponsor, if you will, is in charge of the due diligence, finding out what the asset's all about, finding out what the asset's going to need, et cetera, to make it profitable and what that profit might be. So, so you have to disclose all of that information. And then on top of it, disclose, hey, here are all the millions of ways you could lose your money. And, and those are basically your obligations and peppered with, you know, are you generally soliciting, meaning are you advertising for investors? Uh, are you taking accredited investors? And we can get into that. So that's what a syndication is. A syndication is bringing a group of people together to own a, an asset that's brought forth by a sponsor. And then the sponsor's responsibility is to provide that pro proper disclosure so the investor can go and fully informed before they invest. And the sponsors could be a group. Right. Like, so it's an LLC that's right. a group of sponsors, right, that are going to now find investors. Correct. Right. Exactly. And we want those investors, in other words, because the investors don't have any control usually. No. Right. Well, and so you don't want to have control. And that's not just to protect you from your investors, but to protect your investors from the other investors. Correct. Right. And so in that process, what you're saying is that you're required to like, have some documents that really pave out and explain, here's what we're doing, here's the payout structures, here's what we think the investment is, and by the way, here's all the risk we think are associated with it, or really right. the 10 million reasons why you should never do this thing. <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> every time I give one of my investors the pack, I said, now guys, I know I told you about this already, but I'm going to tell you again, this is going to be a document. It's going to be thick and it's going to scare the living crap out of you. <laughs> and, you know, but you have to, you have to legally say this is, and these are all risk, you know, and you disclose everything. So I had one, uh, one of my partners, he said, Hey, I got bankruptcy. Should I disclose it? You go, yeah. Yeah. It's pertinent information, bro. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And once you do that, you've, you've saved yourself so much heartache from the future because the one thing that a disgruntled investor likes to do is go, but you didn't tell me that. And I would have said if you didn't, if I had known that. So, and, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was like, and normally that's not true, but the reality is that's what's convenient at the time. So yeah. don't at convenience at, at the time. Well, because truly when you start making money, you're going to have more than one syndication. And so, you know, I always say lawyers love to follow the money. Right. <laughs> right. And so when you're making lots of money and if you ever had a one deal that went bad and you didn't fully disclose everything, like they see that as a big target. 
Like right. that's the guy that we want. He can pay us. Right. Right. So let's He'll sue him. Back. And so now the way you don't get sued is by hiring people like Jillian to like prepare your docs and really go through the process, right? Right, exactly. So let's talk about that. So let's say, I know we teach apartments. So I got a new apartment deal. And what's your process of, okay, um, what do I do next? I, I got one under contract and I'm, I'm a, I want to start raising some money. What should I do? So you should call me. Um, I mean, and or you, yeah, a securities attorney, call your local securities attorney. But uh, the, the one thing, you know, I can't speak for other securities attorneys. I can speak for our firm. And, and this is not a sales pitch. This is just something you might want to ask your securities attorney when interviewing them. The big problem, yeah, <laughs> the big problem I always see is that there's this fear that you're going to, you're going to spend all this money on legal fees and then not close on the property. And that's a big waste of money. Um, and that's a, that's a, that is a justifiable fear. And from my perspective, I got to get paid to do the work. I can't worry about you not getting closed on your property. So how do we, how do we bring those two things together and make everyone happy? And what we do is we say, look, uh, we want you to call us as early as possible because I don't want you struggling to find that money. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be running up to the finish line and then running out of time to gather the money. I want you to have, I want you to give yourself plenty of runway. So when should you call me? You should call me when you enter a letter of intent and you believe you're going to enter in a purchase and sale agreement. Mm -hmm. And the question always is, but Jillian, if you spend all this time drafting these documents and then I don't close on the property, does that mean I'm out my, you know, 10, 12, $15,000? And the answer is no, because what I will do for you is, um, I will amend those documents for another property at no additional charge if you didn't if you didn't close on the property. So in other words, I still get paid. You still do your documents. That's called a pen drop, by the way. <laughs> okay, that was. Let me do it again. That's, that's a pen drop. So, uh, so this is what I'm saying. If you don't want to call me, I get it. Uh, no, you know, like I, you know, I think that's just being straight up, right? Yeah. You should call me, but that is a strategy you should use when talking to your, your attorney, like, Hey, what happens if I don't close on the property? And mm -hmm. if, well, uh, too bad. So sad. Ask them for that. There's no harm in asking them. Will you amend these documents for me for a similar property? If I don't close on the property, yeah, that's, that's a great one, man. Because like sometimes I, mean, I just had to deal the blow blew up. Right. And <laughs> we, I mean, we never thought that it was going to blow up, but it did. Yeah. And, I mean, what happened is it was a long PSA. Well, it actually took us a long time to get under contract right. when we first did a site visit. And then by the time we got to it, the deal Jones is like three months later because there was a, it's called a Laura involved in the property, which was a tax credit thing. And the property owner never took any tax credit, even though they filed for it. And so um, we had to figure out a workaround to make sure that the Laura wasn't going to be attached to the property. Well, what we come up with was, and this is lawyers, that's why it takes months, right? is they had to finally all agree that the bank was going to take back the property as receivership and then give it back and sell it to us, right? That was the whole workaround to solve the problem, okay? But in that, it was a two-month, three-month period of time, and then when we get on the property, they, like the owner kicked everybody off the property, and so now like the occupancy was at this level and went way down to a whole, like from 90% to 80. Oh and God. that made a, such a discrepancy in the income. We had to retrade. And it killed the deal. And we were ready. For, I mean, we were already rolling docs, you know? Yeah. 
So it happens. It happens. It does. And and so that's why we make that offer because honestly, I don't want again, I don't want you're gonna be worried about closing, you're gonna be worried about due diligence, you're gonna be worried about getting the loan and satisfying the bankers. You know, when I was when I was doing condo conversions, eight to ten hours a day before we closed on a property, you know, for, for weeks before we closed on a property was dedicated to just talking to the bank and getting them the documents they needed. So you have all of these other moving parts. Let's not add the worry of where the down payment's going to come from. Right. Let's get, get, let's take care of that right away. Get your docs together, raise your capital, put it in the bank, let it sit there. And if you don't close, say to your attorney, Hey, you amend these for me. I got another deal under contract. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. Now let's talk about, okay, so we have one under a contract. Now we have a couple of choices to make. So we're going to call you and you're going to say, Hey, do you want to do a 506? Or you're going to ask about the offering, what we're doing, and you're yeah. going to make some recommendations. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep us just talked about two because I think it's the most prevalent, sure. which is a 506 B and a 506 C offering. Right. And so I'll let you explain both of those and like, sure. Why would we want to do one or the other? So 506C is relatively new. It used to be just 506. And then in 2012, when the Jobs Act passed, it split it into 506B and 506C. So on 506B, you can raise as much money as you want through uh, accredited investors and up to 35 sophisticated investors. And I'll, I'll talk about what an accredited investor is. And But you cannot use any means of general solicitation, which means advertising for investors. The rule really is, is that you have a substantive pre-existing relationship with investors prior to their investment. What a substantive pre-existing relationship is, is intimate knowledge of one's financial ability to invest. Now, I know there's all this talk about, you know, the three-touch rule and, and stuff like that. Th those are not real rules. Those are just good ideas. The real rule is you have a substantive pre-existing relationship, which means that you have an intimate knowledge of one's financial ability to invest. And you can do this with an investor qualification form. And I know many people who've been saved by the investor qualification form. So that's, that's it. And the investor qualification form is going to ask the investor, are you accredited or are you sophisticated? And if you're sophisticated, how are you sophisticated? So right. tell me that, what you know and how you know it, right? Exactly. And the accredited is, 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 is so, so sophisticated is subjective, right? It, you know, it's not, it, it's like, uh, okay, I took some real estate classes and I've invested in my own real estate. And then you can subjectively say, okay, you're sophisticated enough to invest in this deal because of these things. With accredited, it's either you are or you aren't. You either make $200,000 a year as an individual, $300,000 a year as a married couple, or have a net worth of a million dollars exclusive of your primary residence. So that's, that's, that's B. Now, before I go on to talk about C, you know, what I found in my research, and I paid a lot of money for this research, I actually ran all of the filings through a software system to get these numbers. So I've pulled them myself. 77% of the people who have filed for a 506 offering since the JOBS Act has passed have done 506 he is and boy offerings, which means that even though 506C is available, the overwhelming majority of, of folks are still using 506B as the primary way to raise capital. And so what we're seeing is that people are using less general solicitation and more education-based marketing to raise capital. 
like this. Yes. Yes. Based marketing. Uh, so, so, so 506C, what is that? It allows you to raise as much money as you want, accredited investors only. So if your uncle Joe, who you adore and has always been a good investor to you, is not accredited, you can now not take his money under 506C. doesn't matter that he's your uncle Joe and you love him and da da da. He, he will, for all intents and purposes, ruin your exemption by investing if you do a 506C offering. But 506C allows you to generally solicit, go on the internet, go on Facebook. Advertise and say, like, here's my deal. Like, here's my big fat deal. Here's what it does. Here's what it pays. Yada, yada, yada. Exactly. Um, And here's where you go if you want to, like, say you want you're interested, right? Now, if they do say they're interested, but there's another little caveat to that, is that we have to take some steps to make sure they're accredited. So that's right. And that's the third. So what it's called is third party verification, or you don't have to necessarily do third party verification, but there's a couple of different ways. So the first way is to use a third party verification service, such as, uh, you know, verify investor or something like that. The second way is to do it yourself, which is that they can get a letter from their RIA, their attorney or their CPA that says, hey, yes, I'm verifying for you that this person is accredited. That second way is probably the most popular way. And right. then the third way is the least popular way, and I don't necessarily recommend it, which is that you ask the investor for two years of tax returns, and no one likes providing that. No. <laughs> so That's usually a hell to the no. Yeah, exactly. So number two is usually the way we go. Okay, so from basically just what you said right there, 77% use the 506B. That's yeah. usually what I use as well. Right. And I've learned to just incre- uh, create, uh, well, let's talk about the educational piece because that's really, I know there's a lot of people out there that have, uh, this, this would be really, by providing education, that seems to like start the conversation. Yeah. So I'll let it, you. Yeah. And here's the thing, like I, the, and the analogy I always use, like people seem to get like scared or something like they're, they're going to give something away and somebody's going to steal their ideas, you know, and I get it. I get it. You spent a lot of time and energy and maybe money to, to, to gain this knowledge um, and experience that you don't want to, you don't want to just give it away, but I'm here to tell you, just give it away. And here's why no one's going to steal your ideas. If anything, you're going to build trust. It's, it's, it's what I'm doing right now. And the reality is, is I could sit here, we could sit here, Corey, for a full month and just talk about everything you and I know and literally tell everybody how to do every single little Give them all the keys, right? Everything. You know what's going to, no one, no one listening, no one listening is going to go, hey, I like what Jillian said. I'm going to stop what I'm doing right now. I'm going to go take the LSAT. I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to then sit for the bar exam. Once I sit for the bar exam, I am then going to open my own securities law firm and compete directly with her. That is not going to happen. So I don't, I don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and I always believe this. Here's the thing. So here's my thought process. Is you should always be a student and a teacher. Yeah. Right? So you have one hand up. You're always getting pulled up by a, by a, a mentor, right? A teacher, right. right? You're a student yourself and you're looking up. And you should always all be looking down and saying, hey, let me teach you what I know, the people that are farther down the road than you. 
And that's really how business happens. And a lot of times, so this is my secret of how I raise money, is I teach everything I know and people learn my process, right? And yeah. we become friends and we start to understand each other. And um, we actually have a, a process that, you, that we get to know you in a membership site. It's where we can get to know you, right? And we, got, we want to know you intimately enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we can understand your financials, your financial situation. And by doing that, we raise a crap ton of money. Yeah, exactly. And that's the best money to raise too, because you, you've built that trust ahead of time and people have gotten to know you and you've spent the time to get to know these people as well. And that's another big thing. By the way, I want to back up for a second because I, I flip-flops my numbers. 506C offerings make up 7%. 506B offerings make 93%. So it's oh, actually- gosh, even bigger. Yeah, the 77,000 was how many filings had been made since the Jobs Act. Oh, okay. There's a lot of too many numbers flying around in my head. So it's it's 93% are 506B offerings, 7% are 506C offerings. And and then the other thing, um, the other point I was gonna make, I can you tell I have some like severe adult ADHD going on? The other point I was gonna make was I want everybody out there to get in the habit of vetting their investors as much as they vet you. And it's hard to do that when you're just doing general solicitation and taking any Tom, Dick, and Harry who comes through the door. Yeah. So this process of, of getting to know an investor and establishing this pre-existing relationship kind of helps that along. So I want you to do that because a bad investor can ruin it for everyone. And oh. Yeah, and here's the other thing, too, because I always say, like, I teach from nuts to bolts how I own, buy, operate, sell apartments, right? And so what happens is I always, this is how I say it, is I call it money. Money shows up in the room and they want to buy, do the whole process, right? They want you really, really, really bad. However, life gets in the way and they somehow get stuck and they just can never seem to get past a piece in the road that just, they will never get past that, right? And right. so when that happens, sometimes it's just so much easier and usually what happens is that's when they really just want to give me their money. They're like, Corey, I understand your process. I believe in the process. Um, at, at this point in time, like, I don't want to do all the work. I would rather yeah. you just, you do the work. You've proven me the concept. I, I do believe in it. And let me just help me fund your deal and I can still make a good return. And everybody wins, right? So I do love that concept and that parts, but it's, it is starts with getting to know somebody and, and then asking all the right questions. I, exactly. No, that's exactly right. So, you know, it's just, just get out there and share. And, and where do you find money? Where do you yeah, find money? Exactly. And, and the other thing is too, I want you to really have a focus on putting together something that is adding value to people, but to also understand when you're taking money in, all money is green, but your opportunities are in a sense unique. And you have to have that confidence in yourself. I can tell when something's going to go horribly wrong. And, oh, and yeah. that my client is not going to raise money. And it's, it, usually it starts with a complete lack of confidence and putting the investor, and don't take this the wrong way, but putting the investor up on a pedestal, an inappropriate pedestal. I want you to, to really... Be careful with your investor's money. I want you to do what you say you're going to do. I want you to communicate with your investors. I want you to have ultimate respect for your investors and their money. 
but don't put them up on this pedestal. Like they're the only investor that exists and they have the only money that's going to work for your deal because that's Amen, not. Amen, sister. <laughs> right? Because money is, there's, I'm listen, because I come from, I come from, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but I had a series seven and series 66. I used to be yeah, uh, no, a licensed stockbroker. Um, and so, and what I, when I got into that money world, what I never really realized because I grew up poor as hell, right? And so uh, we didn't never had money. If we talked about money, it was like, right? You don't yeah. talk about money. And so by becoming a financial advisor, when you really understand how much money is out there, and dude, it is a ginormous amount of money, more money than you'll ever know. And dude, money is searching. I mean, they are lining up three, four, you know, in a row to find people like us that are deal makers. Yeah. Right. And so if you know this and know that we offer something unique to the marketplace, we can usually provide a pretty good consistent return and then some piece of the back end or however you want to arrange it, but we're different. Right. And I think people are looking for alternatives to the stock market. Yeah, I agree. And that's what we provide. Right. So there's lots of, there's lots of money. So don't ever, yeah, I love it. What you said, don't be, man, I got to tell a story of, real quickly. I'm, I want to tell this. I want you to have all the, the light. But oh, I have this one, one, I think it was one investor, right, in my head, and I'm not gonna say his name, but he was always like, I'm the golden goose. I'm the golden, don't hurt the golden goose. Oh my God. You know? and like he, you run away from that. I mean, he was just, and in the beginning, right, as a young guy, he was one of those that was, he's funny, my single family fix and flip deals, right? And um, he could never be a part of my multifamily because A, he just always wanted so much control, and he was just, and one day I fired him oh. and you want to talk about like, feel like a Rocky move. Right. Where I was like, Oh, I just, I got him, man. Like he's out. And it was the best feeling in the world. So understand <laughs> that you can totally 86, the wrong people, right? If they're not good for your investment, if they're pains in the butts, don't just make it a point not to do business with jerks. Right. Absolutely. There's just no reason for it. You don't you don't need to sell your soul for, you know, $50,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, you just you do not need to do that because just imagine you take that $50,000 and then you get into $500,000 worth of litigation. Oh yeah. Not even worth it, right? No. And I've had clients who've had I had a client who got into like $500,000 litigation over a $10,000 investor who they their money back to and it still like went down this dark evil path so bet your investors and no if your investor isn't somebody you want to spend time with then don't take their don't spend time with their money either yeah hey so if you were um to give any advice for new people that are like raising capital as far as like where where should you go where does capital hang out where do you go find how would you put yourself in a situation where you could find people with money my best advice is to find a charity that you love that has galas and pay a hundred dollars for dry pieces of chicken and sit there and start mingling and making friends because half of that room is doctors and and sci- people in the science fields that are dissatisfied with their current status in life and are working for money as opposed to having their money work for them and are looking for somebody like you to help them. And the best story I have is 
when one time on a whim, my husband and I decided to go to the Temecula Valley Chamber of Commerce Gala at Pachanga uh, Casino and Resort in lovely Temecula, California. And, um, and we got there and our table was with a doctor who owned two doctors who owned like the one 24 hour urgent care facility in town, a tour operator, a securities litigation attorney or a litigation attorney. I think he was class action, actually class action lawsuit, uh, litigation attorney and, uh, and a couple of other people. And so they're sitting there and they're, we're all talking like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And they asked me, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I help real estate entrepreneurs raise money for their deals. Cause usually people don't understand. I'm a securities attorney. Right. Attorney. So I right. said, I, I held real estate. You got to make, make it understandable. And that's the stick right there. Exactly. Because I don't know at this time who I'm talking to. Right. And then the, the doctors bought me a bottle of wine. I, I mean, this is totally unprovoked. They bought me a bottle of wine, gave me their cards. And we're like, we're looking for, we're looking for opportunities. Please let us know what you have. I'm offering them nothing. I'm not even raising money. And that's what I <laughs> like, So just think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, I got two pen drops and one injury. That's good. So, so just think about that. Think about what that means and what these people, what people are starting. For. I love it. So you just yeah. went there because you enjoyed the cards. Yeah. And you found a spot that, and then you, now here's the trick. This is awesome because this is like, when people say, what do you do? Right. You got to have something that makes sense. If I said, I don't know real estate, I, I, I do real estate. <laughs> Wrong answer. Right? right, they're gonna automatically think you're just another realtor. Yeah, okay? and even though you're whatever, they don't care. Once you said real estate, you're a realtor. Okay, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so you gotta say either tell a story or like something to do with raising capital. Or you um, you provide your investors with a strong uh, return and a nice back end. It's got to be something where you help people with money, and and you make them money, right? And and, and don't be too. Uh, you know, uh, no one likes somebody who talks too much or is too desperate. So, so yeah. the analogy I always use. You plan is I don't shut up, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the the other thing, the thing is, is that I always say is that, like, look, if you're if you're on a first date, you are not going to oh, ask yes. the the lady to marry you and bring the ring just in case. I mean, that's creepy and weird. And the women who say yes to those types of proposals are even more creepy and weird. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a creepy, weird relationship right yes. there. The very beginning. Um, yeah. If you told all your friends and family, I went on a first date and we're getting married next month, they would be creeped out and try to talk you out of it. Yeah. So, so my recommendation is to be very cognizant of that. Yeah, you slow play this stuff. So raising capital is not done now. Even though, like, it doesn't have to be a slow play, but, like, you don't just go vomit on somebody because what you said is what you did. And then just conversations, they care because if you do it the right way, a lot of times they'll say, well, tell me a little bit more about it. You're like, oh, well, you have a small conversation, then, and then you immediately got to, like, change it because you don't want to talk about you. Well, well, tell me about yourself, doctor. What right. do you do? And just be genuinely interested in people. Right. Right? Exactly. Don't you think that's the trick? Yeah, that's exactly right. You guys. And at the end, they followed up and said, well, hey, we're still interested in what you said earlier. Like, here's our card and follow up. Well, then that's just the follow-up process, right? Because that's what you're, they just told you what to do. Exactly. And like, <laughs> yeah, 
and the, the other part of that too is, as I, I believe this, because this is how I raise money. Like I was in Chandler Chamber, Rotarian, right? I just go to places where people, and, uh, Friends of Mercy at my hospital, right? That's a good one. Yeah. And because they do callus, they do these things. And, and now what I've also learned is what I try to tell people is get serve, serve, serve on the board if you can, right? Yeah. Be the person that's responsible for help putting these things together and donate some of your time and do the amazing things will happen. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, and then you'll get invited to all the good parties. If yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and so what, hey, what is that? Is that a, like, let's go hang out with a bunch of people with money, have fun, even if you don't even have anybody, who cares? Right? Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes when you're new, I mean, you may come from a single family background and you decide that you're going to do a bigger deal, which is what I, which is what I try to teach is like, hey, I want, I want you to level up, right? I want to take sure. the successful single family operators and I'm going to show them how to put like four more zeros to it, right? right. And create right. le- and what I call it legacy. We want legacy wealth, like your families, your kids, kids, kids stuff. And you do that by leveraging people. And so you leverage deals and you leverage partners and you leverage capital. And by leveraging capital, you just got to get out there and get dirty with it a little bit, right? Go meet right. people and just share what you do and the right people We'll always self-select. Absolutely. That, that's exactly right. And 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 that's what you that's the kind of relationships you want. And you want a relationship build. Anonymous investors are good in some situations, not for when you're first starting out. Certainly not for when you're first starting out. What advice would you give us for like what not to do? Like as far as not even raising capital, but like when it comes to syndication, um, like do uh, not do this. This is my biggest piece of advice. And then I have to go. Okay. <laughs> um, I knew we were making magic, so it's like the magic's almost over. And well, it's not even that. It's not, not even that. It's that I've got. I just like all of the work I got to get done before Friday. Hits. I'm ready. I'm ready to drop it. <laughs> give it to me. Okay. The biggest piece of advice I can give you is: do not pay more money than you need to pay to your investors. The I see this happen all the time. <laughs> <clears throat> I love that. I, the 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 biggest advice this is the reason why this is the biggest advice because I feel that and I, I see it on message boards all the time right what do you guys offering your investors these days it doesn't matter what people are offering their investors these days it really doesn't matter it matters this much and here's why because at the end of the day if you can't afford to pay it it doesn't really matter how much other people are offering so if your deal can't spit off that money and then the other bigger better badder issue is that. If you're not getting paid enough, what's the matter where your investors are getting paid? You're not satisfied. It's not worth your time. So so why do that deal or why offer that to your investors? So the, you always want to work backwards. How much is the money going to make? How much is it going to make? How much do you want to make to make you happy? The difference between those two, if it's negative, don't do the deal. If it's positive, then say, how much do I need for contingency? Whatever's left over is what you're going to pay your investors. So see, it doesn't really matter what everybody else is offering out there. What matters is, are, is the deal making enough money? Are you getting paid with you want, what you want? And do you have contingency? The, the, the way of thinking like, I have to pay my investors in this is absolutely get you off to the wrong start because either you end up paying your investors too much or you don't end up paying your investors at all. Because Jane, they- let me ask you this, because I know this is like a great question, because that's a great, that is a double, like drop my pin and just slam it, 
right? I'm like, so honored. Because, like, listen, I've been screaming. I go to these, I go to events all the time. Like, Corey, what are you paying on your money, right? And my goal is I've always, I'm lowering my cost of capital. I call it lowering my cost of capital. Lowering expectations all the time. Right. Because, um, A, it gives me into more deals, but I have a, you know, a formula. But how many people do you know, and you, I know you've seen this, all the train wrecks, where someone says, you know, everybody has these offerings, and you probably have done offerings where you're like, oh, gosh, where they're trying to offer a ridiculous amount of money to the investor. Right. And it never, ever, ever happens. It's got to be like a crap load of people that do this stuff. Right. Oh, absolutely, all the time. All and the time. how so sad, because honestly, what I found most investors want, they just want consistency. Right. Consistency is king. And guess what? That's called stable. Go ask your stockbroker what consistency pays. Right. <laughs> and it's going to be such a low number. It's going to scare you. Right. And so, because, you know, that's called, you know, it's just the way it is. People think that sometimes you buy off such a stupid rate of return. It's even percent that you don't even know what you're doing. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and then you see all the money. So either two, one of two things happen, either you're not paying your investors what you promised them, which is always a bad thing, no matter what. Yes. So you're either doing that or you're not getting paid and you're miserable and you wish you weren't doing this and it's not worth your time. It's a lose-lose everywhere, exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. So for all my listeners out there that they want to know, they have realized that this is the source of if I'm getting my PPM done, I need to figure out and call Jillian. How do they get and hold you? Oh, how do they find uh, you? They can, uh, they can uh, email me at Jillian at crowdfundinglawyers.net. And uh, if you want to get some information on our firm or you want some free educational information, you can go to crowdfundinglawyers.net. And uh, I'll just give my phone number real quick, 323-799-1342. All right, so awesome. Jillian, I thank you so much for coming on to my uh, show. Remember, guys, if you're out there and you're thinking, ma'am, I want to start creating a legacy wealth for my family. I want to start driving this bus where I can provide not only money once, but time and time and time again. The answer is it's called multifamily, but it starts with the belief. You got to believe in your mind that you can do it, achieve it. And believe it or not, your paradise will be possible.